Welcome to The Real Journey Show. On this podcast, you can expect guests of all backgrounds and professions to share a real journey they have experienced in this thing called life. From origin to current, the rocky ups and downs in the middle, and what is yet to come. The journeys of each guest will vary, but there is one thing that will remain constant. The listeners will be reminded that life experiences have a compelling way of connecting us, inspiring us, and empowering us to stay real. I am Tara Martin, your host of The Real Journey Show. So welcome back to The Real Journey Show. We are so excited that you tuned in today. We have a super special guest who also happens to be one of my dear friends. I'm I'm very excited to have him on the show. Not only is he just an outstanding educator, but he's just a cool human and he always makes people feel approachable. He's been a mentor to me and I'm just honored to have him. He, He just released a book this week, so we are super excited over here. But Matt Miller, welcome to the show. Please do give a more formal introduction of who you are (laughs) and what you do for anyone who doesn't already know you. Yep, absolutely. And I'm thrilled to be here. And likewise to to you, Tara, I've learned an awful lot from you. And yeah, anyway, we could go on and on, obviously. (laughs) Um, So um, my name is Matt Miller. Uh, I wrote a book called Ditch That Textbook. Before that, I was um, a high school Spanish teacher for 11 years in little bitty rural schools out here in West Central Indiana, like little teeny tiny schools, like graduating class of 32. Like um, we had to drive your tractor to school day at our school. <laughs> kind of gives you the picture, right? You you totally get that being out in Kansas, right, Tara? Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, taught um, high school Spanish for a while wrote this book. And then now I do professional development um, at schools and school districts. I'm the host or co-host of a couple of podcasts, the Google Teacher Podcast and the Ditch That Textbook Podcast. Um, and I really, I, I, I kind of joke that the, the, the work that I do in schools enables me. It's, it's kind of like what, what makes it possible for me to create a whole bunch of free content that I can give away to teachers. And that's, that's really one of my passions. So that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. You are a jack of all trades, Matt. I love it. I love it. If you need resources, he has the place to go. You should totally visit his website because there's a plethora of stuff there. We'll make sure we share all of that at the end of the show and also in the notes. Well, Matt, on this show, we typically try to have the guests share a real journey, real by the acronym is being relatable, exposing a little vulnerability, approachable, and learning through life. Was there something that it was just a journey in life that you've gone through that's kind of shaped you into the person or into the career path that you are at today? Um, and if so, just tell us a little bit about it. No, I haven't had any journeys like no, that. Okay. I'm, I've been very predictable and expectable and all that. <laughs> yeah, you're the rare human. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And this episode is over now. So <laughs> done. yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I'm just like everybody else. I've had tons and tons of them. Um, unexpected things. I think that's that's sort of what makes life exciting and interesting, isn't it? Um, especially when we look back on it, is to have those stories. And, um, you know, really from the beginning of my, 
my professional life outside of college, it kind of started that way. Because um, when I went to college, I wasn't an education major. I was a journalism major. And I, um, I wanted to be either a newspaper reporter at a big newspaper or a newspaper editor at like a small to medium-sized newspaper. That was all that I wanted to do. Um, when I was in college, I worked for the college newspaper, the college magazine. I worked part-time at the, um, at the newspaper in town. I got all of the experience that I could. I took summer internships. I mean, I was like on this. And I thought when I graduate from college, I want my best possible chance to land the job of my dreams. And looking back on it, I had to sacrifice a lot for that. You know, my college experience was very much running around to events and covering them and going back and writing them and staying out late in newspaper offices to make sure that the newspaper got put to bed and that people could read it the next morning. And um, so lots and lots of sacrifice when I, when I went through all that. Um, graduated from college, got a job at a, um, oh, a, a well-respected um, smaller newspaper close to Indianapolis. So kind of like a suburban newspaper and I was covering county government. So I started working there covering county government and very quickly I started to realize that I hated it, hated it. Um, my job was to basically dig up other people's dirt and uncover corruption and ask all of the tough questions and then turn around and write it in the newspaper. And I was not put on this earth to do that. And I, I learned it very quickly. Um, there were, you know, there were times where county officials were doing underhanded things. And my editor asked to, for me to like, basically go bust into closed door meetings and demand answers. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is me, you know, I don't think this is a good idea. Um, but I ended up in schools for some of the uh, stories that I wrote. And I just remember going into those schools and looking around, I couldn't explain why, but for some reason I thought this feels right. You know, this feels like this, this is, this is my place, you know? I felt I felt at peace there for some reason. And just like all of the, you know, all of the sort of organized busyness that was going on and the moving and the coming and going and the routine and the kids and everything. And um, it just seemed right. And I didn't know why at the time it was foreshadowing and I didn't realize it. Um, my wife was teaching um, sixth grade social studies at the time. And I would go into her classroom and I would help her like grade papers and grade tests and stuff. And um, after a while, I started to think, well, maybe this education thing, maybe this is for me. You know, it was it was hard because I had I had created my entire personality, my entire identity around journalism. And um, I started looking at it and I started to realize that as I looked back through my journalism days, my favorite moments that stood out to me were when I was helping other reporters work on their stories. That's teaching. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't see it that way at the time, but that's teaching. And so long story short, um, after a whopping three months of professional journalism, <laughs> I turned around and went back to school and um, got an emergency teaching credential. Like I didn't even have a full-fledged license. Um, 
went back and got this credential. And then I was um, in my first classroom of students. And it was like eight months after I had quit journalism. Like uh, that kind that kind of a quick turnaround. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that just goes to show you, I guess, that even your best laid plans don't turn out the way that they, that they expect. And, um, it was, I mean, it was scary. Um, I had all sorts of doubt. Um, I, I had to basically, I felt like I had to anyway, tell some of the um, journalism professors that I had and some of my friends that were in journalism, I had to tell them that I was leaving the profession. Um, there was this high profile internship that I did uh, the year after I graduated college. Um, and I had to tell them and I felt like I was forsaking all of these people that had trusted in me. But I also knew that I couldn't continue on. I was going to, I mean, I was going to get ulcers if I ended up continuing to do journalism. And, um, you know, I got into college and I was a full-time college student from, um, basically from January until August when I got my job. And so here I am brand newly married. My wife is a teacher. She's the only one bringing home income. And so me, you know, the heart of a husband who's still trying to figure out what his role is in a marriage, I am not bringing in any money whatsoever. I'm just trying to make a shift in my career that just got started. And I had all sorts of doubt. And then, of course, I got into the classroom, and I didn't know what in the world I was doing there. So this this story was just all sorts of filled filled with doubt, really. But um, but in the end, I'm really glad that it happened. Yeah. Wow. That's it's a cool journey that I've never heard you talk about. <laughs> so yeah. I absolutely love it. One of the things that really stood out to me is how you realized, and you are like this, I often tell people, Matt Miller is one of the sweetest humans on the planet. And I, I really believe that. I don't really say that. I say special guest every time, but I don't say yeah. that people are the sweetest person on the planet every time. And it's a real, that's a real trait that you have. And so thinking about you having to dig up corruption and uh-huh. And have to play that role. I mean, it's literally in my head, I think of like an actor having to put on this different face and right. this different accent and come in with like blazing. <laughs> like, right. like it doesn't even feel like you seem like you at all. Like I can't even imagine that being like a, a personality that would come out of you. And so I can't even begin to imagine how frustrated that would be to think this is my day-to-day life. Like, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Did I really sign up for this? And wondering how am I going to support my family and then how I'm going to keep my mental health stable through pretending to be something that I'm not, not able to be your real self. And another piece that really stood out to me in your story is how you realized right, right away that helping other people was your purpose. And, and that's, and, and you, you do that, you do that as a teacher, I'm sure to students, but I've only known you as you work with adults and adult learners. And I definitely think you do that all the time. We talked about the onset, you have all these free resources because you're always willing to help others. And mm-hmm. that's just the nature of who you are. So I'm so 
thankful that you didn't get stuck in that. First of all, I wouldn't probably know you. And also, um, the world wouldn't be blessed by your awesomeness because you are such a helper. It's definitely your purpose in this life. You're definitely like in the right lane. So now I'm interested in knowing about those first few years of teaching because I can't even imagine like three months you had this career, you hated it. You're like, how am I going to support my family? Well, forget that. How am I going to keep my mental health? Because I can't support my family if I'm a hot mess. And so changing career paths, working through school, and then eight months later, you're in the classroom. So that's a lot less time than a lot of us go to school to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. What was those first few years like for you? I mean, mine was terrible and I was trained, but I'm just curious. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a mess. As you can imagine, it was, a, it was a total mess because I came in and I had a handful of education classes. Didn't even have all of my education classes at that point. And of course we all sort of know, you know, this is a knock on all university programs all across the board, but we also know that sometimes we talk about how college education programs don't really get us ready for everything that we need. And there's no way that they could, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, I only had just a handful of those classes under my belt. Um, I know a lot of times, you know, people, uh, get in and they've had a student teaching experience with a master teacher who can help them out. And I never got that because I had to do student teaching within my own classroom. And, so I remember showing up in class and trying my best to pretend that I knew what in the world I was doing because I had to communicate that to my students. They had to believe that I knew what I was doing or at least that I was capable of leading this class. And some days I did a lot better job of communicating that than others, but most of the time it was, it was rough. Um, I had a really hard time with classroom management at the beginning. Um, I remember, especially I had a homeroom class and there wasn't really anything for, you know, kids to do during homeroom. And it was sort of a rough group. These, these kids that I got assigned, my wife had worked in this school district the year before and she was familiar with the kids and she saw the roster of my homeroom class and she's like, Oh, (laughs) Those are the kids they assigned you for this, for this homeroom. And so, um, I would come in and they would basically just talk loudly. And when I say talk, that's kind of an understatement because it was really, really loud. And I didn't, I, I didn't know how to get them under control. It was just, it was really bad to the point that at one point, um, the assistant principal came stomping into my room and yelled at these kids and say, you said, you all are a bunch of, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he basically told them that this is not how people are supposed to act and you all need to get it together. And he left and I thought, my career is over. I'm done <laughs> as a teacher. This is going to be and and see, I had baggage at that point because I had I already had one failed career. I tried to be a newspaper reporter and I failed at it. Um or at least that's the way that I felt at the time. Um and so I thought I failed as a newspaper reporter and now I'm failing as a teacher. And so maybe I don't I maybe I'm just 
a failure. Maybe I'm just not going to find something that works for me. Um, and then the Spanish side of things, trying to teach Spanish, that was rough too, because, you know, I, I didn't have that list of go-to activities that I could go to. I didn't have a lot of those tips and ideas that the, uh, you know, that the, the good teachers had, it seemed. And of course, I, I also was not connected online like I am now. So I didn't have that support group. So it was, it was rough for a while. And I came to this moment where um, I came to this moment where I started to realize that my textbooks and my workbooks and my worksheets were not helping my students become fluent speakers of Spanish. I wanted them to be able to speak in Spanish. Like if they went out in the community or went out of state or out of the country, I wanted them to be able to carry on a basic conversation and they just, they weren't able to do it. And um, there's this one moment I talk about this whenever I do keynote speeches at schools and conferences and stuff. Um, there's this one moment where I was doing a lecture on, I think it was on reflexive verbs. It was a really exciting lecture, like 30 <laughs> minutes strong about reflexive verbs. The kids were all totally engaged. Not, they were not totally engaged, <laughs> not at all. And after I got done, I gave them some work to do and none of them were doing it. They basically were just like defiantly doing anything but my work. Um, so I walked back up to the front of the room and I go, oh, well, if you're not working on your homework, then obviously that must mean that you got it all done and I didn't give you enough. So I probably better give you some more. Like I was digging in my heels. They were digging in their heels and I was digging in my heels. So I gave them more homework. The bell rang and those students sprinted for the door. They ran for the door. I had never seen kids run for the door before, but they were like pushing each other, bumping into tables, trying to get out of my room. And that was a, that was a moment for me. That was a moment where I realized something needs to change. It needs to change for them because they hate my class. They hate it, but it needs to change for me because I can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing it this way. You know, that was when the whole ditch that textbook thing started. And I didn't realize it was a thing at the time. It was me just basically looking at the way I was teaching and saying, this isn't working. It isn't producing the results that I want. So I just started trying new things. And of course, whenever you try new things, you're bound to fail. And so I did. I had all sorts of activities that blew up in my face, but then some of them worked. And the kids would leave after those classes and I'd be like, that was amazing. I can't believe they paid me to do this. That was so much fun. This is so cool. And then of course, the next day, something would blow up in my face and be like, I'm a failure. I can't believe I'm doing this. This is awful. I need to return the money to the taxpayers because this was really, really bad. And then it was just like this roller coaster. And, you know, I think that's kind of the way that teaching is in general, though. You know, I mean, if we're not trying some new things, if we're not trying different things to level up our game and meet our students where they are and provide for them, then we're not at our best. We're not giving our students our best, I don't think. Um, and so, you know, little by little by little, that that's what started to transform my class. And that is what started to create this ditch that textbook family mm -hmm. community that we have. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love that story because I honestly think 
it's very similar to a lot of us that jump into education, even with five years, four or five years of training with yep. student teaching. Like you said, I mean, it's not a knock against universities. It's just dealing with real humans is, is challenging. I mean, it, it does, no one can really prepare you for the set of students that you're going to have and all the needs they're going to have and exactly how you're going to have to adjust to that. But one of the things that you said way earlier is that helping others was something that you were passionate about. And I think that that thread is probably a common thread that will just keep going through every journey of your life. But you started to notice that the kids were not loving it. And you weren't helping them to learn Spanish and to be able to speak it fluently. You guys were battling against each other. And I think every teacher out there listening can probably, or human, really, have you ever had this battle? Like, I'm going to win. And they're like, no, I'm going to (laughs) win. You're like, no, I'm going to win. And nobody ends up winning. It's just frustrating. But um, that's, I think it's just a common thing that a lot of us do. Like, you're going to listen to me. Or else, and and you, that only lasts for so long. People can only be obedient through fear for so long, but eventually they have to be intrinsically motivated to want more of whatever it is that you have to offer. In your case, Spanish, learning Spanish. And so you had to make them love it. And I think this is kind of where, and I love Ditch That Textbook, so I'm really passionate about it, but let's just kind of go into that. Like, how did this experience shape that book. Mm. It it was the foundation of the whole thing, really. I mean, that was the that was sort of the watershed moment when those kids ran for the door. At that point, that was the watershed moment for me. What I didn't realize it at the time, of course, but looking back, I realized that that was the moment where I realized something needs to change. I don't know what it is, but something needs to change. Um, In fact, I went to a workshop not too long after that. There was um, this whole movement in Spanish teaching of um, teaching Spanish through story, through making up stories and asking questions about them. And it gets you lots of repetitions and everything. I thought it was pretty cool. I went to a workshop about it. And the guy who was leading it was actually the creator of this method of teaching Spanish. And he talked about his story a little bit. And he said... It got so bad at some point. This sounded so much like my story. He said it got so bad at some point that I realized that basically anything had to be better than what I was going through. And so he said, when you use this method, um, when you use this method, even a bad day of using this method is better than a good day with, you know, verb conjugation worksheets. And so, um, you know, I, that that particular message right there really spoke to me. And I started to realize there's a lot of things that I could be doing that have to be better than the status quo that I'm suffering through right now. And so that's really all that Ditch That Textbook has become. You know, for me, it's not about saying that textbooks are evil and that we have to throw them all away because they're inherently evil and the best place for a textbook is in the dumpster. Not that's that's not what I'm saying, but what I think we can do is better than marching chapter by chapter through them. And so that's the question that I've been trying to answer um or trying to come up with answers for for the last 8 years or so is if marching chapter by chapter through a textbook is not the best way what could it look like instead? 
And so that's really all I'm trying to figure out. And sometimes that answer involves technology. You know, I've got lots of stuff about using technology meaningfully in the classroom, but it's other things too. You know, it was teaching Spanish through telling stories too. It was, you know, using props and costumes and stuff that I learned from Teach Like a Pirate. It was, you know, all of this stuff. And that's, that's really what all of that came from was it all started with that one moment where I realized something's got to give. And I've spent the last eight years trying to figure out what that looks like. And the beauty of it for me, at least, and what makes me excited is that that is an, that is a question that I can continue to answer for a long, long time. And it's a, it's a question that gets me out of bed every single morning. Um, to be able to answer it for myself and to be able to help other people answer that question. And that really is the passion that fuels what I'm doing right now and what keeps me excited about being in this great profession that we're all in in education. I love it. I, I, I just, I love Ditch That Textbook too. It's so relatable and just like your story, honestly. And like you said, it's just helping us to realize how can we make learning more of an experience for kids? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it because telling stories through Spanish is, I took a lot of years of Spanish, three or four, I can't remember. I can't speak it very well. <laughs> I did a bunch of worksheets, <laughs> but I think it would be so fun if I would have, I loved storytelling and I love writing stories. So what a fun way to learn a language. And that's, that's how people really do learn the language when they get, if they go to the place and they're immersed in it, then they start to learn it because they have to, like, I got to tell my story. I got to defend myself. I got to figure out the language. But Mm -hmm. a lot of times here in the U S you know, where we're just learning through worksheets it's not experiential, you know, it's not creating this memorable moment. And I know you're all about that. And I think that's really kind of leads us into further into your journey. I know that you've had other books too, and you're welcome to talk about those, but I know you have a new one that just came out, Tech Like a Pirate. And one of the things that really stood out to me in that book is just creating these memorable experiences for kids and for our learners. And really that goes for all learners for adult. I now work with adult learners and I think we want to create memorable experience experiences for them as well, because that's the stuff that you go home and you're still thinking about it. Or for me, a journaler, I journal every single day. I'm not in journalism, but I love to journal in my daily journal. And so oftentimes I'm always thinking about stuff that just kind of stood out to me still from the day before, you know, like I want to, if I'm the speaker, sorry, I want to create an experience that they later think about and they just keep thinking about. That's what we want to Mm -hmm. do for students. And I really think tech like a pirate kind of definitely not kind of definitely uh preaches that mindset you know of creating these experiences and Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about I know that tech like a pirate derived from teach like a pirate so maybe give us a little bit of your background with teach like a pirate and why you moved into this idea of tech like a pirate yeah, absolutely. And it, it is very much derived from Teach Like a Pirate and 
obviously that book has is a big part of my or story as a teacher. Um, I got my copy of Teach Like a Pirate in 2013, and I still have it, and it is very tattered and beaten up. Um, but I read it, and one of the things that just kept echoing in my ears uh, was the line that Dave Burgess wrote where he said, don't just teach a lesson, create an experience. And as I kept reading through the book and I kept seeing all of the engagement hooks that he has, you know, all of the things that you can do like props and costumes and interior design and the opportunistic hook and, you know, all of those different hooks. I kept looking at those and I kept seeing them through the lens of the technology I had in my classroom. And I knew that technology wasn't everything, but it had a big part to do with a lot of what I did in my class. And so I kept thinking, oh, this hook really well with this app. Oh, this hook, we could totally do that with our Chromebooks or with our iPads or something. And so a lot of the way that I saw that book was through the technology that I had. So I just kept brainstorming ways that I could make learning an experience through that technology. Not because I wanted to use the technology, but because I wanted the experience that the technology could help me create. And so um, I didn't realize it, but from the time I got that book until now, I've been brainstorming the ideas for this book, for Tech Like a Pirate. It's been seven or eight years of brainstorming all come together right now. And um, so the, the, the key thing behind Tech Like a Pirate, it, it attempts to answer this question, is that um, you know, can our technology in our classroom make memorable learning? Can it make class an experience? And if so, what does that look like? And I think that the answer to that is a resounding yes. I think it absolutely can. Um, you know, and basically the book dives into seven different ways that you can tech like a pirate, seven different ways that you can bring technology in to create an experience, but not just create an experience for the sake of creating an experience, but to move learning forward. And it even touches a little bit on the research that talks about how these kinds of memorable learning experiences prime our brain to learn so that the learning becomes stronger because of the experience. I think sometimes people scoff at the experience and they go, oh, well, that's just the fluffy stuff that you want to do. Oh, that doesn't really help with learning. It's just something that you want to do for fun. Yeah, but fun primes the brain to learn in a lot of ways. There's all sorts of research. There's neuroscience. There's there's different research studies out there that that prove this. And so that's that's really what I wanted to to do in this book is to show research driven ideas and practical examples that you can use in your class or that you can remix in your class or that give you the inspiration to come up with your own ideas so that you can use that technology in meaningful ways. It's so easy for people sometimes to just say, this is the way I used to do it on paper. So I want to find a way to do it that way with the technology. But when we use technology super meaningfully in ways that help us level up the learning, it goes beyond that. And so that's really what the book is all about is trying to find those ways to make learning a meaningful experience, you know, create an experience and use technology to do it. Yes. And I'm, I, I feel like that is a message that I can definitely relate to, especially with, um, even with book snaps. I mean, even if you just go to that, you know, mm -hmm. people were like, where's the research for this? I'm like, I have no idea at first. Like yeah. I had no idea. I just was trying something with kids and it worked. 
And a few weeks later, they were still remembering the part of the book that they snapped. And I'm like, why is this working? Um, and we were having fun and we were learning and we were using a tool that they love that speaks their language. And I couldn't, for the life of me at the onset, figure out why it was working. But there were so many people in my district, including our board of education, which I love them. But they were like, if it doesn't have science, you know, I don't know if we need to use that. I'm like, but it's working. So yeah. it's got to have science. Yeah. I mean, there's science if they're remembering it. So I just need to figure it out. And yeah. that's really what it came down to. And I think a lot of people that scoff at, I'm just going to go off on a soapbox for a moment, that scoff at ideas that maybe aren't research-based, but we don't have to do this for 10 years and have 15 different people with PhDs look at it to find out that if it's working, I know it's working because I've been using it with kids for multiple months and they remember it way later. So there's got to be some way that the memories are working. And that's when I figured out the science behind book snaps and why it was actually working. And I, I think there are often cases like that when we are creating an experience, when kids are able to interact with content in a very real way, and they're able to make those connections that is when they remember that content. It's also when they start to build a relationship with the person who's teaching it. And those things combined together is just, you have a much better chance of moving content from the working memory into somewhere into the track of the long-term memory. If you combine those two pieces that one, the relationship and two, the meaningful experience, because that is the, those are the things that even Hollywood is trying to do like with movies. It's the things that writers could novel writers do with books. They connect to your heart and then they make you feel like you are in it with them. And when you do that, it, it's something you think about over and over and over. When we do that as educators, which you so beautifully explain in Tech Like a Pirate with technology, then that's, you're going to have kids that are going to come out, not only loving what they're doing, and maybe they don't even love the subject. They just love the experience they just had. Yeah. But they're also going to remember that content long past the test, but at least for the test. <laughs> I know mm -hmm. when I used to do those worksheets, it was hard to remember that stuff for the test. But if I would have experienced it and I would have built a relationship with my teacher at the same time, I mean, chances of me remembering that content would have been so much more um, exponentially more possible. Yeah. And, you know, to, to touch back on uh, book snaps, I think um, another thing that you got out of that that is also something that, you know, I touch on in Tech Like a Pirate also is that you had your kids full attention. That's the thing, too. Um, you know, I think I think back to when I was teaching straight out of my textbooks and um, you know, I wasn't trying to get their attention and I was just trying to teach. Once you lose those students attention, it's almost like, you know, they sort of flip the learning switch to off. It's like there, or there's, there's no learning coming out of it if their brain is somewhere else. And so whenever we do something that creates an experience like that, now all of a sudden we have their, you know, full, undivided attention. And I mean, that's got to be present for learning to happen. And so if we spend a little bit of time creating an experience so that we have their undivided attention. I think that that's time well spent. 
Indeed, indeed. I mean, and going back, I mean, I'm not really trying to go back to the movie analogy, but it's the same way when they hook you in, that's when you're you're no longer, I'm not looking at my phone. You know, if a movie ever really hooks me in, I'm not surfing Mm -hmm. social media. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't miss a moment. And I think when we create, and I'm not saying that we have to be like Hollywood actors out there as teachers, but there are, we can create these same kinds of moments, like you were just mm-hmm. saying, where we literally have their undivided attention. And they're, they're not running to get out. They're staring at us wondering, like, what are we about to do yeah. next? Yeah. <laughs> That's a weird yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, no, absolutely. You're right. And sometimes, you know, and we don't have to bring out the fireworks to get it either. Sometimes it can be just a really great essential question. You know, we look at the the content that students are learning and the things that the the learning experiences we want to work them through and if we can even just come up with a really good essential question like like for example look at Julius Caesar you know Caesar the the book uh sort of centers on betrayal that's one of the big things in it and kids have been through betrayal you know with their friends with their family with from from somebody, someone has been betrayed before, you know, that's something that is deep in their heart. And, um, you know, to, to talk about that, something that they've experienced that they have emotions in, um, you know, you don't have to come up with something that's Hollywood quality, flashy entertainment. That's just a really good essential question, you know. So sometimes it's just as simple as that to to get that attention. So there's there's you're you're exactly right. There's lots of ways to do that. Yes, and I think sometimes we try to make it so tough. You know, we're yeah. looking at Pinterest or we're looking at people in our PLN, which is a fantastic place. If you're not connected on uh, Twitter, you should, you should really get connected because it's a great support system. But there are sometimes people are doing just some really outstanding things out there and it can become overwhelming to where you look at that and you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot possibly put this much energy into this right now. Like there's just no way. And especially Mm -hmm. with our situation right now in this global pandemic, I mean, it's, it's hard to add more things to your plate, but I love that you just brought out, it doesn't have to be all flash, all glitter, all spotlights. It can be a question just hits you in the heart and it just makes you think. And when you're collaborating with your peers and you're starting to learn what made you feel betrayed, I mean, not only not only does that make you think, and it also relates to everyone, but you start to develop new levels of empathy for those that you are right there, your peers, your colleagues, if you're talking about adult learners. And that's the the foundation of a solid culture, you know? I mean, that essential question, yeah, it didn't have spotlights, it didn't have glitter, we didn't have hair extensions and makeup and all this great stuff, (laughs) but... But wow, you know, it hooks you in and and then later you're going to talk about this book. Well, they have something to relate. They have a personal experience to go ahead and connect with that character. I love it. Yep. Yep. Me too. Absolutely. So true. So Matt, oh my goodness, you've had the coolest journey. Thank you for sharing so much of it. I'm just really excited to learn. And then, you know what, thinking about journalism and writing and all this writing that you've done, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of mm-hmm. come out. I think you've yeah. definitely had opportunities to use that 
throughout mm. your career path that you've now chosen. And probably yeah, I, I to go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say you're, you're uh, as far as that goes, when it comes to journeys, I'm a big believer that our journeys, even if they seem like they are winding and twisting and they're full of dead ends and bumps in the road, I think they are very much intentional that we end up on these journeys for a purpose. And I think mine is an example of that. You were just saying earlier how, um, journalism came around and now, you know, I've written some books and I write on my blog on a very regular basis. Writing is a huge part of my life. And if I hadn't had that journalism training, I wouldn't be prepared for this. Um, Before, when I was in high school, I decided I wanted to go the journalism path, but I was also thinking about doing like computer programming, computer science. And now, you know, I do all sorts of stuff with my WordPress websites and I do all sorts of things when it comes to technology. That was very much intentional. It's like all of these things have kind of come together. Um, And if I hadn't had all of those experiences that seemed like dead ends or wrong turns or missed opportunities or whatever, I wouldn't have had what has built me into what I am right now. And I very much believe that that was all done on purpose, you know, and I'm, I'm very blessed to have had some of the dead ends and roadblocks in my life because they, they made me into who I am. And if you're listening to this, I know you're the same way, you know, that that you've had those roadblocks and those dead ends and everything. And don't think of yourself as a failure. See, that's what, that's the road that I started to go down when I was struggling with teaching. Don't think of yourself as a failure. Think of yourself as collecting experiences that you may end up using again later in your life. Just new opportunities that'll shape you into the person you're going to become. And, and that's, that's kind of like the L in, lear- in real, you know, it's all about learning through life. And I think- yes. That's kind of part of it. You know, we have to learn through life. I have a teenage boy right now and I, my husband and I were talking over breakfast and we're like, gosh, I wish he would just realize this. But a lot of, you know, we just, we want to like instill this into him and tell him, you know, you're, you're not choosing the right path when you're doing this right. But the truth of the matter is we keep sharing experiences but he has to experience those things for himself. There's a lot of things in life. It doesn't matter who tries to teach us or tell us. We just have to go through it, come out learning something new. And I think that's really what Cannonball In is kind of all about too. Just You just cannonballed in on a lot of these opportunities and you have made this splash that is having a ripple effect all over the place. But what I love so much is that your passions have surfaced. So they they came out at the onset and then now you are still playing to all those passions in the role that you're in now. And I think even more so, not only are you getting to help others, you're writing, you're using all your computer science love and, and you're speaking and sharing and inspiring others to live through their journey Um, so thinking about the future, I mean, what are you thinking? Like, what does the future hold for you? And that's hard to know, but I love asking this question because if we're not dreaming big, then what did, what did Omar say yesterday in our live? Oh, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. Yeah. And so we got to dream big. We got to challenge ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as the future goes, you know, um, I, I feel like I'm very blessed to get up and get to do something that 
excites me every single morning. Like I wake up in the morning and I'm already thinking about what I'm going to do and what I'm excited to do. And it's not drudgery. And, um, by the way, the fact that my version of that includes, you know, writing and speaking and podcasting and all that stuff doesn't mean that that is the route for all of that. If you wake up in the morning and you think about all of a sudden, as soon as you, you know, come into consciousness before your eyes even open, if you start to think about the students you're going to see, if you start to think about the cool lesson that you finally got to in your curriculum that you've been waiting on for weeks, and you start to think about that before your feet even hit the floor, then by golly, you are in the right spot, you know? Um, and that's, that's something that people would, would die for, you know? Um, so as far, as long as when you ask about the future, as long as I continue to feel that way about this, then I'm going to keep doing it. Um, but as soon as that passion starts to go away, then I'm, I'm either going to do one of two things. I'm either going to look for something that sparks that passion or number two, I'm going to try to find joy in my situation. And I felt like that was, that was something, especially when I was uh, teaching about halfway through my 11 years in, in teaching, I hit a point where I just, I, I wasn't seeing the joy every single day. Uh, you don't see the joy every single day. I shouldn't <laughs> even say that, but, um, but I wasn't seeing the joy and I started to think like, I just need to find ways to see this in a way that does bring me joy. I'm going to bring joy into this in some way, even if it doesn't, you know, if it isn't set up perfectly to bring it to me, I'm going to find ways to create it. And so I think you've got, you know, those, those couple things. Gosh, I got kind of deep on this question. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's good. And it's so true. I think personally and professionally, you know, sometimes I feel like professionally, you can kind of get into a routine. And right now we're all, all of our worlds are turned upside down and we're all figuring out how to do things a little bit differently. So of course the challenge and the excitement is here, not necessarily because we want it, but we have it. Um, But if, if work isn't challenging you, then what personally can you find mm-hmm. that'll challenge you because sometimes that'll get you through the hump and then before mm-hmm. you know it your new personal passion kind of bleeds over into your professional passion and begins to like right. spark up that excitement again um i know that's worked a lot for me mm-hmm. you know sometimes if professionally i'm feeling bogged down i can't get my stuff done i'm like oh i don't want to do-. you know i don't want to start work i don't want to dive into my email it's scary um but i know that i'm excited about getting up and working out then I do that first. So if you can't find mm-hmm. your person, your passion professionally right now, and maybe nothing is seeming to really spark it, find your personal passion because and dive into that and then start to blend them together. It really, it really works for me anyway. Yeah. It's like passion begets passion. And <laughs> that that's really it's momentum. That's what you're talking about is momentum. And once you get momentum, it like makes everything easier. So you're right. I think no matter where you find that passion, I think it's important to 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 try to find it one way or another, or otherwise we just slip into this kind of day to day existence instead of you know meaningfully approaching life or just existing. Yes, and and that's what we want to inspire and empower in our students and any of learners that we are have the opportunity to serve because 
they too are feeling some of those same things. So we then have that experience and we can share that with others. And I think that's what you do so beautifully, not only in Ditch That Textbook, but also in on all of your books, really. And I will list his books in the in the show notes. So you you should totally check them out. All of those links down in the show notes, you can actually click them and read the first few chapters for free just to see if you even want to read it. <laughs> That's the cool part. And then you can go buy it <laughs> because they're mm-hmm. awesome. But I think I think you're so right. In the future, we just got to do that thing that sparks our passion, our excitement. So Matt, mm-hmm. thank you so much for sharing your real journey. I, I love having you on the show. I love learning some new things about you. And I think the listeners out there are just going to love being able to relate to you in a new way. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I appreciate it. This has been a fun conversation. I hope it's been helpful to anybody that's that's heard it. And this was, this was fantastic. Thanks. You're amazing. Um, be sure and check out his book, Tech Like a Pirate. You don't want to miss this one. It's a number one new release. It's like broke Amazon, literally. <laughs> so if the link is not available, it will be soon. And you want to get it before they sell out again, because, oh my goodness, uh, it's like, concert tickets to the best concert ever. Like if you're not there in the first two hours, you don't get one, (laughs) but they're going to open it back up. So you'll be able to get a book. And yeah, thank you, Matt. We appreciate you. We're excited about the work that you do. And of course, the DBC Inc., we are huge Matt Miller fans. So thanks so much for joining the show. Yeah. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thanks. And if anyone wants to find you, I will include those, um, contact information in the notes, but just in case they're listening and driving, um, tell them where they can find you on social media. Yeah. So on Twitter, you can go to at J Matt Miller. It's the letter J Matt with two T's Miller. And then I'll also throw in real quick. If you're interested in this idea of tech, like a pirate of creating memorable learning experiences with technology, I have a ton like a ton of free resources related to all of the themes in the book. Like you'll want, I I of course think that you ought to get the book, but um, if you're waiting for it, or if you want to see more of what it's about, you can go to techlikeapirate.com, which takes you to my resources page that has everything that I've written and created around the book. And I've provided a ton of uh, free stuff out there too. So techlikeapirate.com, go check that out and, you know, you can, you can get a taste of it before you buy, or you can dive deeper after you buy. And these ideas, keep in mind, if you're dealing with some distance learning or anywhere learning, whatever you want to call it right now, these ideas are so applicable for this atmosphere that we're currently in the situation that we're currently in. So do check it out. You will be able to easily bring them right into the classroom, of course. But if you're trying to figure out how to spice up these Zoom lessons and make learning a little more fun for your students right now, this is the way to go. Yes. (laughs) Well, thanks, Matt. Have a good one, everyone. And remember next week, same time, same place for The Real Journey Show. Thank you so much for joining The Real Journey Show. We are excited you tuned in today and hope that you have left feeling inspired and empowered to stay real and share your real journey with others. Remember, real, it's all about being relatable, exposing a little vulnerability, approachable, and learning through life. You can connect with me on Twitter at TaraMartinEDU or visit my website, TaraMMartin.com. Please use the hashtag RealJourneyShow to share your thoughts of today's episode. Tune in next week, The Real Journey Show.